Let me get hydrated. I feel like I'm I'm starting to like, you know, get into this thing. So a whole pot of coffee down the down the down the drain. Um <clears throat> Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Of Mugs and Men podcast. I'm your host, Chase Cooper. Let's get straight into this thing. Uh, last episode, we were talking about sin. Uh, I wanted to talk about sin and, and temptation. And uh, in a future episode, I think I'm going to get into generational iniquity, generational curses, however you um, talk about that. So today, let's talk about temptation, okay? Um, temptation goes right along... Wow, sorry. Temptation goes right alongside um, sin and desire and all those things. All these uh, these things kind of work together, right? And the end the end game uh, for the enemy or or for your flesh or whoever you want to blame for it, the end game is is sin. The end game is to get you to mess up. The end game, all these forces around you. Um, in the last episode, I said that the odds were stacked against you in this world. It's true. The odds are stacked against you. All these things work against you. Okay. And I, I kind of, mm, let's get into that today. Let me get through my temptation stuff and then we'll, we'll get into that. So I'm not sure if <clears throat> temptation is necessary for sin to occur. Uh, and what I mean by that is I think that there are times where sin occurs out of anger or resentment or maybe an attitude that we just carry with us, right? So we take a look and take a look at. Uh, well, the last time we were here, we we talked about a little bit of the fruits of the spirit, but you take a look at the works of the flesh, right? Pride, uh, greed, lust, etc. All those things, and you'll see that these are sins that aren't necessarily things. I'm not saying all of them, but not aren't necessarily things that we really need help with, right? There's not much enticing or luring for me uh, to be greedy <clears throat> or to be prideful, right? Oftentimes, these are things that we just kind of carry with us that we need uh, help with to put down. Uh, that's kind of where the fruits of the Spirit come in, right? And we're not quite there. I want to get back to that like we did in the last episode. But uh, let's talk about First um, John. Because in 1 John, he talks about how if we say that we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I don't think that he's talking exclusively about willful sin here. All right. And what do I mean by willful sin? What I mean is this. I kind of place sin uh, into a few different categories. I have, and these are my categories, right? I have uh, willful sin in one corner, which is the stuff that you do... Um, that you know good and well, right? That you're not supposed to do, but you do it anyways because it makes you feel good, right? These are those desires that I talked about before, sort of these deep-seated, uh, deep-seated, sorry, things that uh, kind of crop up out of nowhere, right? And you have these internal battles and you're like, ah, I want to do it so bad, but I don't think I should. Anyways, that's one category. And <clears throat> then I have the unknown sin, Right. And that's the stuff that maybe you are completely and totally blinded to. Right. At least in large part. Um, so maybe nobody has told you that the way that you treat your wife is actually sinful. Right. And maybe she doesn't know how to tell you or maybe she doesn't know that it's a sinful behavior either. 
Uh, maybe you've never read the scriptures warning about gluttony. So you'll stuff your face every time you, you have a chance and you become severely overweight. You know, maybe you think being overweight is a mortal sin. So you starve yourself and you don't realize the impact that that side of the thing has on you, right? Things that um, to you and me may seem elementary. Something that may seem like, yeah, duh, idiot, right? How do you not know these things? But we have to have uh, a little bit of empathy for people, right? Um, we just can't assume that when you get saved that God sits you down and explains to you every single detail, right? And writes writes to you like this workout, like you, like when you get saved, it's not like you go to planet fitness and you're like, okay, I need to, I need to do this. And the guy writes down a, a workout plan for you. He's like, you know, do bench press three times, you know, three sets of 10, you know, whatever. God doesn't do that with us, right? God forgives us. <laughs> like we, we mess up. It's just part of human nature. We screw up. We make a mess of things, right? We talked about the garden last time. We're talking about sin. They had everything. They didn't have a chance. <laughs> they screwed it up, right? Everybody screws up. Everybody makes mistakes. And it's not, and even, let's take that view. Even if God was to give you a handbook, per se, what if he gave you a workout plan? Would you have worked it out when you got saved? Because an argument could be made that if you got a Bible, you got a workout plan, right? So he gives, he forgives us. He covers our sin. He, he doesn't, um, man, Pastor Matt says this all the time. Pastor Matt is, is my pastor at, uh, Inside Out at Christ Temple Church. He's always saying this. God is not a God that is, you know, standing over you with a rolled up newspaper waiting to hit you. He forgives, right? He's, he's a forgiving God and he's patient. He's so patient with us, way more patient than we are with other people, right? So again, I'm not going to list everything, but we can't assume that God just gives us this plan and expects us to do it. He does give us the Bible. He gives us his word. He gives people in our life to, to help us um, down these uh, paths. And it's up to us to kind of continually make that choice of righteousness, right? Not that we are righteous, but we know the righteous one. So we have to continually make that choice of, like I said in the last episode, the going up, right? We're, we're, we're taking the high road. We're going to take the uphill battle. We're going to take the trial. We're going to take those things and we're going to spin it and we're going to make it work in our favor. It's going to, it's going to be for our good, right? He's going to test our faith and we're going to pass those tests and it's all going to be for his glory. So, you have to walk this thing out and figure it out by yourself. Figure it out through prayer, through study, and, and generally just seeking the Lord on things, right? And that's called sanctification. And it, it's not an overnight process. Sanctification is not something that happened. Now, somebody will push back on that and say, well, you know, so-and-so claimed that it was. I, I have heard that there's been some theologians throughout history. <clears throat> uh, if Rhett Waters is watching this, tell me the guy's name that believes that sanctification happens like that. I I've genuinely have forgot. It's Adam something. Anyways, it's not for the 99.9% .9 of the population. It is not an overnight thing. Sanctification is a process that you're engaged with. As soon as you get saved, 
you are continuously learning to be um, a better Christian, to be a better person, right? To be um, the person that God has called you to be. You're continuously learning to be more and more Christ-like, to be more like Jesus every single day of your life. So that's what sanctification uh, really is. So there are people in the world that are genuinely ignorant to the things that maybe you and I were just raised on, right? You think of all these different cultures uh, around the world. We cannot assume that um, everybody just is on the same is on the same track, right? Now, I'm I'll be the first to tell you we all have a Bible, right? The Bible is readily available in just about every country, just about every culture, just about every language out there. And if it's not, well, check local listings; it's coming because we have an army of missionaries out there trying to learn a language, trying to interpret, trying to make it applicable to you. Right. And that's just an ongoing process that is going on, but we cannot assume like here in the West that we've got it all figured out. I mean, you think of all the the differences in um, just between we'll say alcohol, you know, you go over to Europe and people in Europe have no problem at all drinking, you know, and maybe um, it's more of like a, a Catholic thing. I, I don't know, but whatever it is, but if you, you come to Appalachia and you talk to a Baptist preacher, it's like, mm, no, that is absolutely not going to happen. So you think of the differences in culture there. And all I'm really trying to point out here is that we need to have a little bit of um, sympathy for each other and try to understand a little bit more about where each of us are coming from. Because it's just it's just one of those things, right? So we cannot assume that everybody's on the same playing field when it comes to uh, knowledge of the Bible, when it comes to knowledge of of sin and and all these things. Um, <clears throat> there are people who are just genuinely ignorant about these things. So to judge these people is really just um, a pride issue. It's prideful on your part uh, to not have that sympathy, right? That's not to to not have that empathy that's required to teach them and to call them to repentance, right? Which I know is kind of harsh to say is to like, how do you, you know, how do you uh, have empathy while you're calling someone to repentance, right? How can you love someone? Well, that is a loving act. To call someone to repentance is a loving act. Now, a lot of times, especially here in the West, we don't look at it like that because, Maybe we've lost the art of how to talk to each other. I don't know. But um, trying to tell someone, hey, I think you're wrong here in a loving and a caring way um, is actually a very biblical thing to do. Calling someone to repentance is not an attack on their character. It's not an attack on their person. It's just, hey, I think you got this thing wrong and I love you enough to tell you that this thing is wrong can you please fix this thing? Because if you don't, I'm in fear that you're going to be out of the will of God, that you're going to be uh, in a place that you don't want to be, right? So (laughs) the apostles actually do this. uh, Well, the apostles do it all the time, okay? The apostles do it to each other because they care about each other, okay? Let's make that point very clear. The apostles call people to repentance constantly, right? And if we're called to be more like Christ, talk about someone calling people to repentance. Every, everywhere that he went, 
the beginning and the end of his message is repent, right? John the Baptist, repent, repent. Everything is about repentance. It's about a changing of your mindset. It's about, um, you know, you're walking this way. That's the wrong path. You start going this way. Everything is about repentance with these guys. And that's because that's the loving thing to do is to call these people into a right relationship with God. When Peter in uh, Acts 2, when he's, uh, he's preaching to everyone, right? He's like, look, you guys killed Jesus. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine looking a guy in the face and saying, you killed Jesus and you need to repent of that. That's pretty powerful, right? But that's what these guys did. And let's, I'm going to quit going on. Acts 8, okay? In Acts 8, let me go there real fast. It's about Simon the Magician. If you've never heard this story, buckle up. Here it comes. Starts in verse 9, Acts 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a power of God, uh, is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So Simon is continuing with Philip, right? He's, he's, uh, he's being trained by Philip or, or whatever that, that looks like, right? And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Think about that for a second. A magician, right? A guy doing tricks around the corner finally sees the power of God and he's seeing all these miracles and all these things happening and he's amazed, right? So verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And this is something to, to catch on to. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, let me, let me back up before I get into that. So you have this magician. You have this guy named Simon. He's a magician. He's, he heard the gospel. He believed it. And he starts, you know, uh, he starts going around with, with Philip and he's learning this stuff and, and all this stuff. Peter and John and the other apostles hear that Samaria has heard the word of the Lord. So they say, well, we have to go down there. We have to tell them about the Holy Spirit, right? We have to tell them that the gospel doesn't just end here. The gospel is actually even more than what they even thought. So we have to get there. We have to lay our hands on them. We have to impart to them the Holy Spirit, right? So they get there and they're doing this work, right? They're imparting the Holy Spirit. And Simon, the magician, the old magician, he's a new man right now. He sees this and he goes, hey, I want that. Here, take my money for it. Okay, now... Let's think about this. Let's think about the culture. Let's think about this man in general. Simon the Magician is used to being a magician. He spent his entire life probably training himself and being this, this trickster, right? 
And when he comes to Christ, he doesn't know that magician things, uh, the way that he's lived his life this whole time, he probably understands like, oh yeah, I'm a sinful guy and I need to believe this gospel and all this thing. But in terms of buying tricks, that's probably not out of the ordinary for him. It's something that he's done his whole life. When he sees a trick that he wants to learn, that he, that he likes, he buys it. He pays someone for that knowledge. Not unlike a lot of things that, that you and I do every day. You know, we pay people for knowledge all the time. Not much different here. I mean, he's a magician. He's paying for tricks. So he sees this and what he perceives the Holy Spirit to be is a trick. He perceives this, these miracles and things as magic. Now, verse 20, let's look at what, uh, what Peter says. <clears throat> verse 19, I'm sorry, saying, Give me this power also, so that, no, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So that sounds very harsh. Sounds super harsh, right? But what's the heart of, of what Peter's saying here? It's, it, Peter is not trying to condemn this guy, right? If Peter wanted to condemn... We've seen Peter condemn people before, right? We've seen Peter uh, make a judgment call. Think back in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cuts the guy's ear off, right? That Talk about a judgment call. I don't like you. I'm going to cut your ear off. That's not what, what Peter is doing here. What Peter is doing here is saying, look, man, you got this whole thing wrong. You fundamentally misunderstand what the gospel is. You fundamentally misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is. You don't understand what's going on here. And you think that this is something that you can just buy because you've bought so many tricks before. This ain't no trick, right? This is the power of God. And because of your, uh, how does he put it? Because of um, the fact that you are in gall of bitterness, right? And the bond of iniquity, you're blinded to this thing. So I pray, <laughs> Simon, you magician, I pray that you see this and that you change your heart, right? And that, that God changes uh, the intent of your heart and that he forgives you for this. But I don't want to leave this spot of you asking me for, you know, you asking to buy the Holy Spirit. I don't want to leave this place without letting you know that this is terribly wrong, that you have fundamentally misunderstood what, what Philip was saying, what I'm saying right now, and that you need to repent of this thing and get your heart right or else you're not going to, you're going to miss this thing completely. And I don't want you to miss this thing. That's powerful. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So we see we see a heart change, right? We see Simon, he says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you just said happens to me. It's not my, I don't want to assign intent to, to Simon, but I'm, I'm trying to teach this, right? It's not that it was Simon's intent to, um, to offend someone. 
It's not that it was his intent to um, to uh, to look at the the spirit of God wrong. It's not that he was looking at the. It was his intent to fundamentally just miss the whole point. He's a guy that genuinely has has grown up in this culture that has just been wicked and sinful. And this is his first, you know, shock of reality of like, whatever I learned before, I'm going to have to relearn, right? This is something that is, is way out of my comfort zone to think that I could just pay for this thing. Like I thought that was just natural, right? I thought this was just something you did, but it's not something that you do. And thank God for Peter for showing me that, right? It seems like to me that he has a, a change of heart. Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I look at... I look at this story and I see a man that has just completely misunderstood what's going on, right? So I think a lot of times our temptations, um, they're, not, uh, they're not bound to each other, right? I think sometimes, like I said before, you have like that willful sin category, stuff that you know that you shouldn't do, right? And then you have the unknown stuff, right? You have just the, the ignorance of things of, I didn't know that was wrong. Thank you for showing me. And there's a lot of people who live in, there's a lot of people who live in this uh, ignorant category, right? Not to call people ignorant. Please don't misunderstand me there. What I mean is like, they genuinely don't know. That's the, that's the, the point of having pastors, of having teachers, of having these people uh, in your life that can steer you in the correct direction, Right. I mean, if you're a, a, a Christian and you've never read the fruits of the flesh or the um, whatever, you know, the fruits of the flesh and the spirit. Okay, we'll put it that way so I don't have to rack my brain. Um, the flesh part of that stuff, there's things in there like um, drunkenness, right? If you've never read that, right? If you've never read the passages about, hey, don't get drunk, then you may go on living a Christian life and just get it hammered all the time. But if there's never someone to come up and say, Hey, I know that you know, this thing that you're doing, you've done it in your whole life, but listen, drunkenness is not something that you need to engage in. Drunkenness is not something you need to stay in. If no one tells you that, then how are you going to learn? How are you going to be able to repent of that? How are you going to be able to correct that behavior? If no one tells you that it, you know, and, and Look, I understand it's a completely side issue. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not you know, seeking these things out, um, that's a completely separate thing. But if there's no one there to help you whatsoever, then you may be stuck in this ignorant category of, I don't even know that I'm, that I'm doing this thing, right? It may not be a willful thing for you. The trick here and the lesson of all this stuff is obviously knowing your Bible well. Right. And, and, and I'm talking here about, um, <clears throat> I'm talking more now about calling people to repentance, you know, loving people, being that person in someone else's life that you can go to and say, Hey man, um, this is not something that you should be doing. The trick to that is knowing your Bible well enough, um, and having enough love in your heart for people, you know, to actually want to see them restored and giving to them good, godly counsel and teaching, right? That's why you and I, we, sh we should always be studying our Bible, right? But 
it's for these moments when I don't know if that's, I don't know what the Lord says about, I don't know what the Bible says about this thing. You know, maybe I should, and I'm not saying you're a bad person or you're a terror, you know, you've, you're a failure of God. If you, if you don't know these things, call someone, you know, whatever it is, if it's really eaten at you. But, um, we, we do need to be those, uh, those people that can call this out of people, right? Because you may be the only God that someone sees. And I don't mean like you're a God. I mean, you may be the only God that someone sees, <laughs> You have the Holy Spirit living within you, right? You need to be more like Jesus every day because that may be the only example of Christ that someone comes across in that day. I'm not saying at all that you're Jesus, so don't don't run with that. What I'm saying is you need to be like Christ. You need to be a, a, a better version of yourself. You need to be more like Christ every single day so that you can call other people to repentance the same way that he called people to repentance. Point them to Jesus every chance that you get, right? Live your life in a way that points to Christ. Live your life in a way that glorifies the Lord and does not glorify yourself. I can't make it much clearer than that. So yeah, I don't I don't think temptation and sin are bound together in that way, right? Temptation comes um, when you have a desire for something that's not easily attainable or that um, you know that you really shouldn't have in the first place. Like, you know, it's not good for you. Rarely do we have a temptation to do something like sleep, right? Nobody gets, Oh, I'm tempted to sleep. No, it's because it's not something that's hard to do. And it's something that we actually do need. We have temptations usually about stuff that we can't have, right? At least not like at will, but temptation is another beast entirely. It's not necessarily sin, right? But it's that thing that grips you and and it won't let you go. And this is really where the battle of your mind, right? The battle happens. Um, You have this sort of like internal dialogue uh, trying to satisfy an itch. Also remain in his will, right? And if you've been through a temptation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have this uh, desire to do this thing, to satisfy something within yourself, but you're almost like trying to figure out how you can do it, you know, how you can kind of get around it. You know, we talked about that forks in the road. A lot of times we try to go around the forks and stay right on the path we were, were already walking on, but we don't want to face the decision. We want to do whatever we want to do and remain on that path, but the fact is that's not how... That's not how the road works. You have to go down one of the road. You have to make a decision and you're going to make a decision whether you want to or not. Um, Think about when I think about this stuff, what I think of is Frodo. I think of Frodo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings series. Um, The ring that Frodo wears around his neck, he's constantly thinking within himself I want to put this thing on. I want to put this ring on. But he knows that it's wrong for him to put it on because he knows that the power the ring has will grip you, will overtake you. So he knows what he's supposed to do. He doesn't always do that, right? And he understands what it does to him, but that doesn't really affect it. So there's a lot of times where he loses this battle, but throughout the series, throughout the 
the movies or the books, you will read that um, he has this internal conflict, right? And that is a, a, a picture of temptation and how strong a temptation can be. Stronger than anything that you've probably ever dealt with. Stronger than anything that Frodo dealt with. Um, stronger than anything that he's ever dealt with. Which makes the fact that he has his friends around him that much more important, right? And we'll get back into that. But let's go back to the, the strength of temptations. This um, <clears throat> example that I'm using about Frodo is such a perfect example because, and I, and I think Tolkien was probably trying to get along this line of um, what temptation is and how it affects people and, and sin and all this stuff because, I mean, he was a Catholic man, but and you can kind of drive, derive whatever you want from Lord of the Rings. But I really think that that's the, the heart of it. And if I'm not mistaken, I think... Um, the ring, you know, the idea that Tolkien had for this ring, where that came from, I think was a Roman idea. And I'll have to check on this later, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, I think it was a Roman idea that you had this um, ring or, or whatever else that you could put on and it would make you invisible and you could kind of get away with anything without losing honor. Because in the Roman culture, it was more of a, an honor culture. Like, um, you know, you didn't you didn't do things because you may bring shame on yourself or on your uh, family or whatever else. It's an honor culture. You guys get what I'm saying? So the idea of the ring was I can put this on and I could act however I want and no one's going to see me, right? So that's, I think that's where Tolkien gets the idea for the ring. But <clears throat> regardless, we'll go with that. He's uh, he's He's got this temptation to put this ring on and you see it especially within the films of, you know, even on his face of like something's happening internally. I can't do this, but I want to do it. I shouldn't do this, but I, I have to do this. You see Gollum or uh, uh, Smeagol, right? He was Smeagol. Oh, sorry. He was Smeagol and then he becomes Gollum because of the ring. And what the ring does to him, what, what the ring did to Bilbo in the very beginning, you see him change his face and all this stuff. Like the ring destroys people. And I think that's a perfect picture of sin. Sin destroys people. And that internal conflict of putting the ring on, <clears throat> that's the temptation, right? The desire, the temptation is there. And as soon as you put that ring on, the deed's done. You are satisfied, but what did you lose? You lost a part of yourself. I think it's a beautiful picture. It's important in the seer in the in the Lord of the Rings that Frodo has all these friends, because the friends, even though a lot of them are tempted by these things and uh, tempted by the ring themselves, uh, you look at uh, Samwise Gamgee, he is Frodo's right hand man, and Frodo at times hates him. He doesn't trust him. He, he doesn't want him around him because he doesn't know what's good for him. Right? And as a viewer or as a reader, you're like, man, why don't you just like, why don't you like Sam? You know, Sam is doing nothing but trying to help you. But he's so overtaken by this thing. He's like, well, he's trying to take the ring from me. He's trying to take my sin away from me. He's trying to take my desires away from me. And in reality, all Sam's trying to do is protect him. Protect Frodo, right? From 
the effects of that sin, of effects of the ring, right? And I know I'm, I'm marrying these two things together, and I think you understand that. But um, that's the importance of having friends, right? When you have friends involved with your sin, and I don't mean you're sinning with your friends. What I mean is when you involve your hey, I'm dealing with X. I'm dealing with this here. I'm doing this or that. When you involve your friends in that, and they agree to help you overcome these things. As soon as you feel that temptation crop up, when you feel that battle come up, you're praying about this stuff. Well, as soon as that stuff happens, you text your friend, you call your friend, you're like, hey, I need, I need you right now. This is exactly what the Lord prescribes to us as a, a, a cure for overcoming sin, for overcoming temptation, is to uh, strengthen yourself with your friends, right? Iron sharpens iron, all that stuff. Confess your sins one to another, right? Three-strand cord is not easily broken. Like you need someone in your life to help you overcome these things. You need someone in your life to help you uh, overtake the things that are overtaking you, right? If you're not strong enough to do this stuff by yourself, Right. And I'm not saying that every sin you have to go to your friend and be like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. No, what I'm saying is there's there are obviously things that you can deal with on your own. But are you strong enough to overcome that one? Whatever that other one is. If you're not, then you need to find someone to help you do that. You need to help someone. You need to help someone. Yeah, that's a good one. You also need to find someone to help you overcome whatever it is. Okay. So I I honestly I think I'm done um for this episode. I think I'm of done a, a decent job with temptation, give you something to chew on, something to think about. Um, thank you again for uh, joining me today. Thank you for everything you guys do for me. Thank you for the views. Thank you for um, the wonderful comments you guys give me. I, I thank you guys every day for that. Every day when I'm praying, when I'm doing my devotionals and stuff, I thank you guys for that. So um, <clears throat> for more content, check out the website, check out everything we do. I actually... Um, I know you guys probably know this, but I do a devotional every single day. I do a devotional uploaded on Instagram and my Facebook at ofmugsandmen.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, you know, just my name. Um, I share a devotional every single day, every single day. I, I never delete those devotionals. They're up there for literally forever. Um, you can get them absolutely free. However, if you don't want to do that or if you wanted it in a form um, that is in a book form. That's what I'm trying to get at. If you wanted it in a book form that is day by day, uh, I sell those. They're on Amazon, uh, $9.99 for a paper copy and $2.99 for a Kindle version. Um, so if you wanted those day by day, it's literally the same devotions that I'm putting up online for free. So I'm not pressuring you into doing that, but if you want to support me or if you want something on your shelf from me, um, get on Amazon and look it up. It's called Drawing Near. A Few Steps Closer is the series, and I have Volume 1, I have Volume 2 out right now, and uh, Volume 3 should be coming out uh, very soon, so just keep looking for that. Um, yeah, thank you guys, but anyways, uh, keep looking for stuff, get on the, the website, look for uh, merch if I'm dropping merch, I'm trying to set up an Etsy shop, that has been awful, so um, yeah, help me, love you guys. Be with, I, I, I pray that you guys have a wonderful day. Uh, thank you again for stopping by. Um, love you guys. See you later.